When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Rapcast. My name is uh, Zarar, and uh, today I'm joined by uh, Raptors Republic writer Kyle Brickman. Hey, Kyle, what's going on, man? I'm great. How are you? Let, let's get to some Raptor talk. Uh, it is my first podcast in a while. It's a little bit rusty on these things. Uh, and and one of the things I want to start off with is the Pascal Siakam trade talk that's been um, that's been hitting the airwaves of late, and. Every trade that I have seen mentioned, and I don't even know if these trades are real, or I don't, I don't even know if the writers are making this stuff up just for clickbait purposes. Um, my, my, my conclusion really is that this stuff is being made up by reputable writers so that they can publish some websites and, and get some hits. But, but let's talk about them because that's what we're in the business to do. So every trade that I have seen for Pascal Siakam results in him being the best player moving in that trade, mm-hmm. which, which violates my number one rule <laughs> of trading anybody, is that if you're going to have, if you're going to get somebody, that guy better be the best player in the deal without question or maybe with some argument. With the Siakam trade, he's the best player leaving. It's completely unlike the DeMar trade where it was obvious who got the best player. Here we're losing the best player. So just based on that fundamental principle of trades, I reject every Pascal Siakam trade that's been proposed. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, like, especially, I think the the one that really started all was Hollinger, right? In that athletic piece about, it, I think he was mostly just reviewing sort of general draft trades and he mentioned Siakam for Wiseman 7 and 14, which like, that's not, ter- I mean, once that trade was anna- like sort of spoken about by Hollinger, it opened the floodgates to like a number of just, like absolutely horrible ones, which in contrast have made that first Hollinger trade look like that's not terrible. It's not the worst haul you get for, for Siakam, but like my thing is it's like, imagine your car like breaks down the 401 and you just like snap a picture right there and like post it on auto trader. Like we're selling it right now. Like it's like his value has never been lower. Like even probably since he's like at least broken out, maybe not his first couple of years in the league, but since he's broken out, He's never had lower value. And it's like the the insurance money is coming. You were in there like no one can survive in Tampa in a hotel for an entire year and be like mentally okay. Like no one. And and that affects like I, I'm sure if you spoke to Siakam, like if you spoke to Pascal, he would admit like, oh, no, this is taking it. This has taken a toll on all of us mentally. It's affected our games like it, this isn't it's not breaking news to say that being in lockdown in a foreign country and having your fans like boo you in your own building. Like that's not, that's not great playing conditions. At least if this is, if you're looking to move on from Pascal, maybe give him six months in Toronto, like let him play it to the trade deadline. Um, I guess you maybe risk because I, I guess the idea would be right now, if you really, as an organization, if you're the Raptors, you really don't believe in Pascal, then maybe you want to capitalize at this moment and not risk him playing that half season and doing poorly. But I, I'm confident he's a, like, will he become the next superstar? No, probably not, but he's not going to like, he's going to improve over his performance and no, that the level of performance, especially in the bubble in the playoffs was that's unsustainable for really like any NBA player. It was very poor. Yeah. And, and you know, like you already touched upon how we are sort of selling him at the lowest point of his value. Uh, I mean, even if you look past the Tampa season and some of the poor play there, he just, he's injured and and he's out for five months. I think at this point, if, if you are looking to acquire Pascal Siakam, you have really no incentive 
to to pay a lot because you're looking to get him on the cheap right now for all the factors that you mentioned and the fact that he's injured. So even if you, I'm trying to I'm trying to think uh, for the Raptors to co- I'm trying to think of a reason why the Raptors would be interested in such a trade. Um, and, and the only answer that I can come back with is if they are looking for maybe even get younger and sort of sort of retool and go back three or four years and say, hey, the current roster maybe isn't what we wanted. Let's let's get some let's get two or three young guys in here and like go back into the 22, 24 range and start building with the OG age range rather than the Pascal Siakam age range. And, and that makes no sense to me because it's not like the current team doesn't have a contention window, which you can which you can sort of frame and, and tr- try to execute on. This team is still pretty damn good. I mean, sure. I mean, Aaron Baines experience kind of diluted all everybody's appetite. <laughs> Millions of Canadians were turned off basketball. Right. But, but I, I think we're projecting that experience and applying it forward a little bit too much. Uh, the idea of getting younger, do you subscribe to that? Do you see any reason why we would be looking to shift our window back three or four years? Um, not that I necessarily subscribe to it, but like, I, un- I understand the thinking like, um, you need a top, you need a really a top level guy to win a championship. And that's, it's been obvious for years now. And like Siakam, there's a chance he blooms. And, and, you know, if you, if you would have tracked his trajectory, like in a linear way from the all-star break two years ago, he might already be that player. But um, it, as of right now, it would it probably surprise me if we see Siakam have like an MVP type season, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's like not worth keeping around. I, this is a bigger conversation about whether to really blow the whole core up because Fred is in his later stages of his twenties. Siakam is is like you know you, yeah you mentioned getting back into that OG range. So I guess what the Raptors are hoping for it right now is either. Um, Fred and Siakam are still playing at a high enough level when that next player, that player who is the ceiling raiser arrives, whether that be with the number four pick, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, or whether that be um, maybe there's some free agency move. Maybe Masai like finds the next, uh, I don't know, maybe Carl Anthony Towns instead of Minnesota, maybe Beal or Lillard, although you'd probably have to give up big assets to get them. Um, so I guess the hope would be that Siakam and, and Fred Van Fleet like are at a good enough level that when this player arrives, it's instantly a championship contender. And if not, then if you don't see that window sort of those windows lining up, then maybe it makes sense to move on. Yeah. And that player, that Messiah, uh, for the, when this Messiah will arrive for the Raptors, we don't know who he is. We don't know when he's going to get here. He may get here, he may not get here, but we get a plan for the for the for the event in case he gets here. Uh, I mean that that seems like a very very you know risky plan to take. Uh, I, I don't know what the possibilities are of the fourth pick materializing into that, or what Wiseman plus seven materializing into that. Uh, I, I, th- I think going that way is you're de- you're definitely getting younger. You're not getting better. And you're not necessarily opening up the possibility of acquiring that player. I think acquiring a player like that can only happen, not can only, but usually happens through trade. And if you if you are looking to acquire that sort of trade, you get the old conundrum that if you package Van Vliet and Siakam into a trade and you get like a, a person who's better than them, well, that person has nobody to play with now. Right. So so what do you do? So when you look at all these options that are on the table for the Raptors, sort of holding steady drafting with the fourth maybe packaging i don't know one of the one of the guys up to get somebody else later on in the season when values are a little higher instead of what the the, the covid season has given us that 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 to me seems like a more sensible direction and also there's no rush like i, I don't see a, a real need to make this trade now especially when it, everybody you ask the general consensus is that this team really hasn't shown what it's capable of even with the current roster yeah, I do want to mention though. Um, let's hold out hope for Shea when his contract expires. Let's hold hope for RJ. Maybe that's free agency is a possibility at least for the Raptors. Uh, 
you know, with this generation of Canadians. And, and, that, and that does not require us to like ship away assets right now on the cheap. But that's a bad plan. Just like pray that, that Shay is, wants to come back to Toronto. I don't I know. Mean, I, that's the same plan. I mean, that, that, that would, that would have been, that would have been same as when, uh, you remember last year when we were kind of all like, yeah, right, Giannis, okay, when's Giannis coming? like Giannis <laughs> is coming over and then he signs and he wins a chip, which yeah, uh, I, I, I got to say, I've never been less confident in Giannis uh, coming to the Rafters. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, well, let's, let's talk about Giannis. Uh, you know, the NBA finals ended, uh, the Bucks uh, beat the Suns, obviously. Who are you rooting for in that, uh, in that series? So, Strangely enough, I guess my girlfriend's dad has like a family connection with Pat Connaughton and he was like visiting us. So I kind of like I was rooting for the Bucks strictly because of that. But I think under, under other circumstances, I probably would have been a Suns supporter just because of like this is a whole different conversation. But like what rivalries the Raptors have. But like I'd say the Bucks are like top five Raptors rival. That was an intense series in 2018. 19 this is a tough series so i would otherwise have been going against the bucks had it not been for pat Connaughton, who had a great series by the way yeah i would i would go against the bucks for a, a number of reasons number one being uh you know the, the rivalry that the raptors have with them uh second being that uh, Giannis rejected toronto so i obviously wanted to see him fail um at least in in, in this instance and also third i mean i i like chris paul uh i, I thought uh, he's a he's a vet who's been in the league forever he's been a top level player for a long, long time. Uh, he's almost changed his golf swing, if you will, uh, and changed how he's approaching the game or uh, the contracts that he signs, the teams that he plays. We had a chance to go to a big name team, you know, stuck with the Suns. So you always like to see uh, stuff like that get rewarded. Uh, it was almost like a Raptors story. It was, I mean, I think, um, uh, I forget who it was. I think it was Josh Howe who, who, who had a piece yeah. on Raptors Republic Lowry and, and, Chris Lowry Ball, yeah. and Chris Paul. So I thought maybe... Uh, the Suns winning by proxy is like Lowry getting happy. It's weird how you psychologically justify who you cheer for. <laughs> yeah, I might have a, I might have a different psychological justification. I think if anything, like the Giannis sticking in Milwaukee gives hope for you know when, not if Jalen Suggs becomes like the next star, whoever is drafted for, whoever we find, wherever. Um, that that sort of sets the blueprint that like oh I have no problem staying in this uh, in this market and winning a championship. And, and I'd also say I take it I look at the other way too. Uh, we're just making stuff up here, by the way. But but here, here's here's one more theory. Uh, Giannis goes, uh, "Hey, small town Bucks team, see I held my promise together. I'm I got you guys the title. <laughs> I'm out of here. It's like it's like LeBron in Cleveland. There's always that possibility as well. So depending on you know how how your mind works. You you may choose to subscribe to any of these little uh, little theories. But you want I know you wanted to talk about what uh, what this title means for small market teams. I I more so wanted to make this sort of like a referendum or a conversation about like what sorry what constitutes like small market because like there are uh, let me just read you the the list of champions over the last ten years so or the last since twenty ten so L A big market, Dallas, middle, big, upper middle class, Miami. If you're going by the size of the, like the population of the, the city, like by the standards of all of North America, that's a, that's a sort of upper middle class market. Maybe it's not, it's a big basketball market because it's where people like to live. Then you have San Antonio, small, small, both in terms of like popularity and population, San Francisco, which I just want to say the Bay area the Metro Bay area has 4 million people about the golden horseshoe. Like the Metro Toronto has 7 million people. How on earth are we like a small or mid market and, and golden state is a big market team. And I guess it sort of brings me my next point is that like, uh, we can go through the rest of the champions, but because the next one is Cleveland, which is definitely a small market. Um, But like this definition of like what constitutes small and big markets has nothing to do with like, the necessarily like the viewership or the population it's all about like glamour so like there there are like i would say there are five glamour markets in the nba you have the two new york teams the two la teams and the san francisco whatever bay area team um but that doesn't track with like the biggest populations in the nba like houston is huge 
uh, Philly is huge and Dallas is huge. And in, like Dallas is not a big market team. In fact, if anything, like there was a similar narrative narrative a decade ago when the, like the humble Dallas Mavericks beat like the super team heat. And that was like, that was the story of the NBA. Like, Oh, thank God we have these non-traditional non-glamour markets winning championships. Like half the decade, sorry, like a third of the decade, it's non-glamour markets winning championships, like non-traditionally non-glamour markets, your Cleveland's, your Dallas's, your Milwaukee's, your Toronto's. And that tracks with like the distribution of markets without the league. There are about a third of the league is non-glamour, about a third of the league is like mid-tier, and about a third of the league is like pure glamour. I, I don't understand. I think it's maybe it's like, and we're as Raptors fans, like guilty of this. Like you can never, you doubted us. You didn't believe in us. We're the humble little Northern like market. And like, we're completely different from everyone else. And like Milwaukee's doing the same thing now. I mean, it's just like a narrative that people like to grab onto. I don't really follow it. I don't see how it makes sense. I don't, I'm not sure how you feel. I mean, I, I, and as you were talking, I was thinking about, uh, you know, the, the nineties and the, and the two thousands a little bit. And I think the big market teams were New York, LA, Chicago, not even Miami. Uh, and maybe you can, you could make an, a weak argument for Boston, um, maybe being part of the big market. And, and I think what constituted a big market team. And if I can, and I could be totally wrong on this one, is just that NBA players could party there. And yeah. those were teams that were able to like give you the bird exception and spend $40 million on you and give you that contract so you could stay there. So when you have wealth, wealth attracts wealth and you kind of, it's a, it's a snowball effect and that market becomes big. And obviously the nightlife and off the court, you have a lot of, as you said, glamour. So, and I think that, that was historically the case for, for the, the most of the 90s. And I'd say, maybe a bit earlier than that, 80s as well. Uh, and at some point, the salary cap changed where things became a lot more equitable. And a lot of, a lot of the loopholes which teams used to sign players to kind of went away, and there was more incentive for players to move around to get the best deal that they, that they could get. And that when that happened, obviously the wealth got spread, and suddenly you had like New York going without the playoffs for like, I don't know, a decade or whatever it, it took them. The Clippers were always crappy, but the Lakers also, you know, w- went through a couple of patchy spots there after, uh, after after Kobe. Chicago, after Jordan, went through a whole stretch where they did like absolutely nothing. Miami, after Zoe went, uh, Zoe and Tim Hardaway went nowhere. You know, Boston was crappy in the in the early Paul Pierce years. So I think the, as the, as the salary cap changed, the, the collective bargaining agreements changed. What, what defined a big market change, and now we're sort of playing catch-up. But I like the way you framed the thirds. I don't think it's a big market, small market. I think it's, it's, it's you are a glamour market. Uh, you are a Milwaukee, Toronto, th- these teams who have stable franchises, stable fan bases, uh, and so on. And then you have the third group. Where you have Sacramento's, the Charlottes. Uh, where you really haven't done much in a very, very long time. But those those destinations aren't attractive because of the cities themselves. They're unattractive because of the lack of winning in, in those cities. And I think if you, if you were a good team in the 90s and 2000s, you still had trouble attracting free agents. Uh, but now if you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a good team in a, in a s- small market, you will attract free. I think that's what's changed over the years. Yeah, I couldn't agree. And you know what, not to get like too political, but it's like, wow, it's almost like redistributing wealth like works. You know, it's like, that's incredible. Like, it's, it's, it's redistributing wealth within the constraints of the collective bargaining agreement. I, I think if you were to talk about wealth distribution, there's a much better league uh, to look at than the NBA. The NBA kind of sucks at wealth distribution. Wealth distribution is all about the Premier League in England where all the TV money gets equally distributed into a pie chart for all teams. Compare that to the Spanish league where two teams who make the most TV, who get the most TV audiences get the money. So uh, the, the socialism argument applies more to EPL than it does to the NBA. The NBA is more of a, I, I, I don't know what kind of political system it is, but it's not pure socialism. Yeah. It's a, it's a monarch. It's like Adam, Adam Silver's like complete and total domain. Um, yeah, uh, go ahead. I, I'm let you move on to where you want. I I wanted to talk about um, 
the sort of draft a little bit if you if you're uh... yeah, go for it i mean let, let's talk draft i mean uh, i'm so tired of even raptors republic to be honest with you just talking about the same four freaking guys over and over again at this point can the draft just come like let, let me let me pull on that thread a little bit do you find that the draft coverage is just oversaturated overanalyzed completely uninteresting and the draft the, 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 there's nothing to talk about so you talk about the draft i feel I, I will say, no matter what the NBA does, there's still. I'm not sure if you want, if you're follow the NFL at all, but like two years ago, the NFL had a draft presentation. It was, I guess, it must have been 2020. It was the first COVID year, and it was just every person. It was like a personal tragedy airing their like, and it, it was like this. This is so depressing and so invasive for these these young men. Like, I can't imagine that. Like, because the viewers aren't down. I'm I would be in disbelief if this like 20 year old kid is like really loving the, the story about how his dad died or something on his, the most important night of his life. So I will say like, no matter how bad the NBA draft coverage gets, like that is the low bar. And like, we, we can never stoop below that point. I know it, it reminds me of like the Westminster Pone Dog Show. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean, like they just trot him out, talk about him. does a little walk goes away. I mean, here we talk about his numbers and all that. I mean, I guess it's a nice people are having a good time and if people are having a good time. I shouldn't crap on them. I just feel that in, in NBA's case, it's just because there's only 20 picks, right? There's, sorry, there's 30 picks and the second round is 30 more, but people mostly care about the, the first round and the lottery is where most of the attention is. And those 14 guys get talked about all the time. And, and in this year, especially, I mean, it's. Uh, it's Jalen Suggs. I mean, I, I guess that's the guy that's going to drop to us at this point. What are you thinking? Is, is there is there any is there any effort that the Raptors should be making in moving up or down? What do you what do you how do you think they should handle this one? So I, I guess my um, I want to talk about Scotty Barnes, and I don't want to like I'm not as I'm not this is not my wholehearted support. For Scotty Barnes, I think he's a good player. I actually think that he started off as super underrated. It's he he shot up the draft boards and it swung all the way the other way, and people are way overrating him. And um and now like with the chatter of like Raptors might be in at Barnes uh, at four, people like are losing their minds. Like the people in the Raptors subreddit like are getting like personal with Scotty Barnes, and I feel bad. Like it's just some kid. Um, but I I don't mind the selection, but at four, it's a disaster. Um, you have like, you have an asset, which is the fourth pick, which is incredibly, incredibly valuable. You're not maximizing that value by picking a player who's slotted to go, you know, one or two picks below, especially in a draft where you have the fourth pick in a four person draft. So I don't, I don't hate Scotty Barnes. I think he's, um, a, he's going to be a serviceable NBA player almost for sure because he's incredibly smart. He's very athletic. And worst case scenario, he's a tremendous defender. And that's all he is. But um, at four, I would be very disappointed. Uh, man, I don't follow the draft as closely as, as I sort of used to. Uh, I, I just find that it's so harsh to say this guy is not a fourth pick and this guy is a seventh pick, especially because, you know, teams work out players. A lot of information is public. A lot of information is private. Um, we are making almost all our, all our, you know, opinions on public information that everybody has, but there is always private information available about players, which can shift the opinion of that player for a particular team. Maybe the Raptors have that private information. Nobody ever is surprised when the Raptors go for somebody out of the blue in the second round and they pick him and they, he turns out to be a pretty good player. OG, Siakam, or I think OG was late first. I don't know what he was. Uh, and Norm Powell come to mind, right? Nobody's like, oh my God, you could have had this guy at like the 38th pick or, and you got him at the 29th pick. Nobody cares. But from the fourth to eighth, there's like, a, oh my God, you could have gotten him later. I think that's sort of misleading because there may be information that teams have that they are not sharing or the, the, the team or the Raptors have that they might not be sharing that that makes it worth their fourth pick. So I don't necessarily have an issue. And can you imagine like trading down to the seventh or eighth pick, hoping to get Barnes and he gets snatched by somebody else? Bird in a hand is worth two in the bush. 
Yeah. So I, I guess the only, and I'm with you. I think the only options trading down is Orlando at five and like you could do OKC at six. That's pushing it. I think that if you do OKC at six, you do so thinking that um, the magic are at five. We know their profile. Like we know their, their draft profile that they prefer. They like guys who are big and strong and athletic and maybe aren't the most polished. And that sounds like Jonathan Kaminga and Jonathan Kaminga's player comp, I'm sure is something similar to Jonathan Isaac and other players who are on the magic. So you trade to six, maybe you just like sit there and pray. And by the way, we have the, we, the Raptors have connections in the the magic front office. Maybe you call up Dan and say, Dan Polsman, is it the GM of the magic who's former with the Raptors? Maybe you say like, listen, you know, we go back a long time. Why don't you just sort of like give me a hint at who you're picking at five before you do the trade? I'm with you. That. I mean, it's, it's, it's got, I mean, there's got to be a very specific framework of a deal well beforehand that happens. I, I thought where you might go with this was the other way, where should the Raptors be moving up in the draft, not down? Because on when when the when the fourth pick was announced, my reaction was um, we we, sh- we should target Mobley. We should really target Mobley because Cleveland already has a big man. But Cleveland's what Cleveland is saying publicly is that they would still take Mobley, even though uh, you know the, the, that position is sort of sorted for them. Uh, I think that's posturing. Uh, I, I think that that, oh, that that might be posturing because it doesn't make sense from a player's perspective. I would say, is there a package which we can use to go up the draft and get Mobley? who is a big man that the Raptors actually need. And he satisfies both conditions. One, he is, by all accounts, the best player available at that position, if you go up to the default sort order. And he also happens to be a position that the Raptors have in need. So he checks off both boxes for me. I would trade Chris Boucher and um, and one, and maybe whatever, both of our later, uh, later picks uh, just to get the guy. I, if they value Mobley that much, that's the move you make. No, I, I'm. I would. I would trade much more than Chris Boucher in two seconds. I mean, I, I'm with you 100. percent And I actually do think, uh, based on what little knowledge, like what little insider knowledge I have, which is zero, um, that the first two picks will be Cade and Jalen Green, just because Cade is a lock for number one. And like, you're the GM of the Pistons. Like, another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You might go a different way, but that's that's you're threatening your job at that point. It's so easy just to pick Cade. There's zero risk. I'm sure is going number one. And Raphael Stone, who's in Houston, is a Daryl Morey protege. They don't like big men. They, in fact, they despise big men. They had a six foot five guy playing like, like center during a playoff run, um, and they traded away Clint Capella for nothing. So, um, so I would assume Jalen Green goes too. Now, I. I I'm I'm with you again. I don't I think it's preposterous to think that um Jared Allen and Evan Mobley don't fit together. Mobley could easily play the four. I mean his comp is Anthony Davis. He should be able to shoot based on what he's shown and what uh you know scouts say about his form. And he should be able to play make well enough to hold his own at, at the four spot. But if you're Cleveland and you probably have to move on from Sexland anyway, Colin Sexton uh, Darius Garland. You probably have to move on from those two guards anyway. You want Suggs because for whatever reason you're enamored with Suggs and you love Jalen Suggs, then maybe it's worth taking a call from the Raptors. And and at that point, the Raptors are in a uniquely beneficial position because it's not like Orlando can come in and say like, we'll give you five and eight for three because that way Cleveland misses out on Suggs or whoever the fourth pick would end up being. Okay, so you can't say what you want six and whatever it is, 17. And you want like some guy, like you want 2028 from like the Clippers or something, take it all. You can have it all for three because uh, in this situation, Cleveland would want sucks. So in the case that Cleveland's in love with Suggs, I think it's worth doing. And I think the value would be 
not too preposterous, but in an open market where Toronto's competing with the Orlando's and the, the OKC's or whoever else is trying to trade up, I don't see it happening. Cause like you mentioned Boucher in two seconds, I, that's not going to cut it. I, like, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I have no idea what trade is feasible and what's not feasible. Uh, I, I just think in a in a situation like this, if you are enamored or if you have targeted a person who is both the, the best player available and a fit for your team, you do what you can to uh, to do it. Uh, I, I am assuming that Masai, although he uh, it, it does, has not officially signed a contract extension, is working behind the scenes to sort of make this happen. Can you imagine if you found out like <laughs> a couple of months from now, Masai is like completely out of office. You send him an email and an autoresponder comes back. <laughs> yeah, I'll be back. Maybe. <laughs> See, I thought they posted like the Raptors posted like a key on Instagram, like teasing something for the 23rd. And I was like, Masai key to the city. He's re-signed. Everything's good. Everything's kosher. There's nothing to worry about. And it was just like a collection of NFTs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think, I think Masai would, would come. I, I don't even bring it as a topic because it's so, it would be so silly if he walks at this point, because I think if you've got to leave a situation, you leave and, and you sort of don't leave the franchise sort of hanging here. Um, so anyway, let's not talk about Masai. He's a he's a he's a separate separate, separate topic. Uh, so l- let's move on to the Kyle Lowry sign and trade situation. And uh, the the context here is that the Raptors did not feel that the offers that they got for Lowry uh, at the uh, at the at the deadline were were attractive enough for trade him, so they kept him. And I think this was best summarized by a meme that I saw. <laughs> On, uh, on somewhere where it had the Green Reaper going door to door. Yeah. And like, the first door was like, I don't know, Philly and the Clippers. So all the teams that could have acquired Lowry and ended up like not winning the title because they had partially because they had shit point guard play. Uh, believe it or not, as, as much, I mean, I think I'm wrong on this one or I was wrong on this one. They might get more value out of him at this point than they would have at the deadline. What do you, what, what do you think of that? I, w- the first thing I think is I own a Reggie Jackson three-pointer NFT and I can't have you tanking that value. So it wasn't shit point guard play from the Clippers. It was actually very good point guard play from the Clippers. <laughs> but um, no, I'm not sure if it's necessarily more value. I think you're probably in a similar situation as you were at the deadline, maybe a little bit less leverage. Now, the destinations... um. I would guess the three would be Miami, Philly, could be the Lakers and could be the Clippers. Um, and it's not like any of those teams have a tremendous amount to give up. And it's, they didn't really have a tremendous amount to give up, uh, you know, prior to the trade deadline either. Now, Miami, I guess the sticking point was Tyler Hero. He might have, uh, I mean, I think actually the Raptors might have less bargaining power, but I actually think Hero might have played his way down into the Raptors bracket again. I think Hero might have played so poorly that he's actually within reason for the Raptors to ask for. Um, but I don't really see a great haul here. And that's not to say that like the Raptors can't get a contributor, but it's like... Uh, you're not getting Simmons. If you trade him to the Lakers, like you might get like Kuzma and KCP, but you're not getting like picks. You're not getting anything like that, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think Kuzma KCP is the level of player that you would sort of expect from a Lowry return at this point. A pick would be nice, uh, but I, as you said, I mean, uh, uh, people aren't just giving up on picks unless mm-hmm. you trade the OKC. Then they're gonna they're gonna hand those out. That's all they got. Uh, uh, I, I do feel that the 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 number of teams that you can trade uh, Lowry to at this point uh, increases just because you can you can mix and match you, you can you can you know sign you can you can match salaries and do a lot of arithmetic to kind of get to find more teams who may need him. Whereas at the deadline, it was sort of limited to two or three buyers who had shown some interest in a in the point guard uh, position. Uh, whatever, whatever happens with Lowry, what do you think of the idea of? retaining him and keeping his services. I, I, I'm firmly sort of against it because not firmly I'm against it because it doesn't necessarily, he, he's not the type of guy that you can sort of play 15, 20 minutes a game so that he mentors everybody 
and gives Malachi Flynn the time he needs. If you're going to hang on to Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry is playing 40 minutes a game, right? He's not, that's that's what he does. He doesn't know any other way to play the game. So he's not a guy you can bring on in a part-time role for mentorship purposes. He only knows one way to play. That's my main reason why I think Lowry probably isn't a great fit in Toronto as much as it pains me to say that. And that time is better invested because the most valuable thing in the world is in, in the NBA is, is, is minutes. And you got to give your minutes to people who you hope will be will be part of your long-term future. And right now that looks like it's Malachi Flynn and um, uh, and Gary Trent Jr. and those guys. So that's my rationale for looking for a lottery trade. What do you think of keeping him? Does that make any sense uh, from any angle? Um, I think like I'll, I have to stipulate if they take Suggs, then absolutely not. I mean, that's Suggs would mean that you have what's that Van Vliet, Suggs, Lowry, Flynn, and Trent, all guys who can only play the guard spots. And you said like Lowry's going to demand or he's going to play 40 minutes a game. And that's not because he's like a selfish player. I'm sure he would, he would accept a, a role like that. He's just too good. You can't like Nick nurse and Kyle Lowry have an established relationship. And like the Raptors aren't the type of organization to just go full, full tank unless it's like the last two weeks of the season and everyone's like resting. Um, like there's like Lowry isn't going to accept uh, 38 minutes a game or sorry, he's not going to accept 15 minutes a game because his play is going to dictate that he's going to play 38 minutes a game. It's, it's that type of player. So yeah, there's just not room for him. And you're right. Flynn, it's not just Flynn's minutes. It's Trent's minutes. It's if they pick up like some, someone in the second round, because a lot of the guard, the, a lot of the second round targets are going to end up being guards. So you get like typically in the second round, it, you'd be looking for a very specific skill. And oftentimes there are basically shooters who have zero other skills who fall to the second round. And those are, those are the, sometimes the highest value to players to pick up in the second round is like, he, this guy's he's from Utah. He's six foot four. He can only shoot. He does nothing else, but like, we'll take a flyer on him. Those types of players. So I, I can see like the sort of like mentorship role suiting him like, in a, from a character perspective, but he's, he's too, he's too skilled at this point. Yeah. And I think Blake broke down in, in his athletic article, you know, a, a lot of different sign and trade situations for Lowry. So there's, and, and so, so regardless of whether, whether we're able to move him, I think we can all agree that the interest in Lowry in general has increased since the trade deadline, because people have, 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 have kind of seen that, it's important to have good point guard play, good leadership on the court, and talent alone sort of isn't enough. And Philly, to me, w- w- is, you know, you talk about like irresponsible. Like it, it, it was irresponsible for them from a management standpoint not to trade for Lowry. What was it, Maxi they were hanging on to or whatever it was? I mean, Thibel maybe. Yeah. Well, you, you make that trade as much as it hurts because if you want to get value, you got to give up value. The Raptors know that best when they traded uh, Valanchunas for Gasol, and and that it was a in a trade. It's always a, it's always in all good trades, both teams benefit. Philly was looking for a deal where only they benefit. Like that's not going to get you anywhere. And I thought that was a very poor decision on on, on their management's part. Uh, well, but you know what, man, f Philly. You know who cares about them? No, I think also like. Not only did it show from a general like they lacked talent perspective of the point guard position, but just like it perfectly encapsulated like that last game. Embiid had what seven eight turnovers. No one could get the ball to him in the post. They didn't have anyone who could like throw like a little entry pass. That like, he couldn't duck in quickly and get the ball. Like I, I can't like being a Raptors fan for like my entire waking life. Like I can't tell you how many times I've seen Lowry like pick the ball up and at half court like throw a really long dart into like a guy who just sprinted down the the floor and it's it is in good post position like they could have they could have used nothing more than specifically Kyle Lowry but I just don't see I mean if they offer if Maury calls tomorrow and calls you Jerry tomorrow and says we'll give you Maxi straight up for Kyle Lowry I'd prefer Kuzma and KCP to that and if that's on the table then that's probably the best offer they get uh, well, at this point, uh, I mean, uh, you're going to lose them for nothing. Mm-hmm. So any offer is better than no offer. Uh, so I, I, I would take whatever's on offer for Lowry. Um, but I, I think he's the type of guy 
I he, he would almost rather if it's going to be a like because there are only a certain number of teams that need a point guard and are winning teams. And he's the type of guy that I, I'm sure he'd rather stay in Toronto. And even if it means like he's playing 10 minutes a game, then go to like, I don't know, Sacramento. Or I, that was a, that's a bad option because they have two guards. But a losing team that is just going to throw a whole bunch of money at him. All right, man, let's, uh, let's round this off with, uh, with one more topic that we, we had identified. Um, uh, Bradley Beal. Uh, is 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 a guy who's like it seems like he's been on the trade market for like 20 years <laughs> is he ever not been on the market uh, like even when the wizards were good he was on the market so uh, i i don't know exactly what's going on uh with uh with beal uh the raptors uh, always get linked with him for for whatever reason even though there's been no like i think jiri made a call to inquire about it like last year and since then like it, it's a it's a trade people love talking about to me, that that trade is the is is like you you got you got to give up too much so that when you get him here, there's nobody to play with, unless the the, the wizards are willing to de- are looking to get younger and want to deal in picks and, and these sort of things. What's your take on the on on, on the Beal situation? Yeah, I just want to first uh, first off, it's just hilarious, like. Start the Beal rumors started right when they're a winning team, and it's like we got to move Beal to like build around Wall. We need to get Wall more help. Beal's this like young asset. Let's go get a star for him. And then just last year, it's like we need to move Wall to build around Beal. <laughs> Wall's got to get out of here. We need to get Beal some good, uh, good co-stars. Yeah, I mean, like, and this goes back to an earlier conversation we had about the the quality in the league. Like, okay, put Beal on the Raptors. Let's say it's Fred for and like a whole bunch of picks, a tremendous amount of picks, like enough to make you like sick to your stomach thinking about like 10 years from now, I'm going to be watching this Raptors team. I can't believe it. Um, Like even then, is that a, is that a team that's like guaranteed to win the, the conference finals in the East? Uh, to me, like I'm, I probably still take the nets over a Beal OG Siakam core. And I, I'd probably, I might, I think they play the Bucks pretty closely. I think they play whatever iteration of the Sixers we see, whether with or without Simmons, pretty closely. I think they play the Celtics pretty closely, and then, and that's not even to mention um, Heat. Hornets are getting better. Like there's a, there's just a ton of talent in the East right now. It's not really the time to make a win now move. It's and that applies to uh, Lillard as well. And I, I know, like, I'm sure every and every NBA fan base except for. Uh, you know, the trailblazers fans are coming up with fake Damian Lillard trades to try to, you know, entice uh, the, maybe the GMs browsing like some, the back pages of Instagram and sees like your Lillard Jersey swap. (laughs) Nice (laughs) graphic must be a nice trade. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I just don't see, you're right. Uh, You're probably giving up two of Fred OG and, and Pascal for either of those guys. Um, And, and four, I imagine, because like, Lillard and and Beal, like this isn't going to be the Kawhi deal, which was a a miracle, does not happen. Not only for the Raptors ever. I mean that that's going to go down. Even though he left after a year, that's going to go down as like one of the most lopsided superstar trades. I mean that's like the definition of like four quarters for a dollar. Like Jakob Pertl's good. Demar Derozan had two serviceable, slightly below All Star years in San Antonio. And uh, it was a late first round pick they acquired. Like that just that doesn't happen. That's it was a miracle. So, so with Beal, man, I, one of the things, one of the strikes against Beal is that he's been in the league for a very long time. Uh, he's he's been around for a while now, and it's not like he's always had crap teams around him. The Wizards have had some decent units with him and Wall that should have done better in the postseason. His history, like his record as a as a playoff performer, as a team playoff performer, his his team's record in the playoffs, and, and the general you know quality of Wizards basketball, especially on the defensive end, has not been great throughout his career. So I don't see Beal as somebody who's going to come in and elevate the rest of the guys. Yeah, he might get good individual scoring. It's kind of like DeMar DeRozan is a perfect example. DeMar DeRozan had some very good individual score, scoring without necessarily great team results. So to me, you're getting 
maybe a slightly, not even slightly better because DeMar had a pretty damn good season. So you're getting a similar type player than, than the, what you had in DeMar over to the Raptors. And we have tried that experiment before. It doesn't really work. We need people who play strong team basketball, elevate everybody's game. Yes, Kawhi Leonard is a, is a once in a lifetime kind of thing. So you're not going to get that. But I just don't see how Bradley Beal, which is very parallel to DeMar DeRozan, is going to is going to solve the Raptors' problems. I, I just don't see it, especially on the defensive side where the Raptors were brutal last year. And again, maybe part of it is Aaron Baines, but overall, getting a guy like Beal on here is, is not... You know what I think? I think the I think Raptor fans are still sort of scarred from that 4 nothing sweep way back <laughs> when. And deep psychologically, they feel like they need that guy on their side because that's what happened to them. Well, and he had an excellent series. And in, in defense of Beal, like he's a scoring champ, he's a good player. Uh, I agree with you that like you need uh, you need like more than just scoring, like to be a, that sort of what we were talking about, like a tier one player. You need more than just scoring. Like every single player that that you would say, no doubt, I can win a championship with this guy being my best guy is either a scorer and a great like setup man playmaker, a scorer and a great rebounder, a scorer and, you know, can play excellent defense, et cetera. So Beal might not be that, that guy. I think there is something to be said about avoiding the purgatory, which is like, you know, where whatever the Hornets and the Pistons prior to this year have spent the last decade in, which is like good enough to challenge for the eighth seed bad enough to you know potentially be in the lottery and and jump up a bunch of spots that's not that's just not a good place for your organization to be so um i want to see some drive i guess like whether that means getting way younger or going for a win now move i might be on board for that maybe not beal but if the guy comes up i'm not opposed to it in in principle so, so that's not I mean, that's not purgatory. Purgatory is like if you're always good enough for like the fifth or sixth yeah. seed, but never getting any better, which is what the Raptors were for the longest time under under Chris Bosh. If you're if you're struggling to get the seventh or eighth seed for consistently, you should blow that shit up because that's not going anywhere. <laughs> I, I mean, but I, but I agree with you, man. I mean, Beal in theory might be okay. In practicality, he probably isn't going to happen. And just me personally does not necessarily excite me because I, I think the Raptors, if you, if you had to give me the option of get Beal in and trade, like, I don't know, let's say Van Vliet or Siakam, um, I would still opt for our current, our, our, our status quo, because I think Pascal Siakam's defensive impact on the Raptors is usually very understated. Uh, I think he holds the Raptors defense together. If the Raptors had some decent big man play last year, I think our def- our defense would be a lot better because a-, a-, a lot of the times we just have to like scramble to cover the, the-, the defensive holds in the middle. Um, I would still go with the current roster. I think the current roster is fine. I, I think, yeah, we need to get a big man. I think if you, if you do the Mobley thing um, or-, or-, or if you, if you just draft Suggs or and just get, get just incrementally improve and get some backup for Ken Burge, I think the Raptors will go up. What did they finish last year? 12th? Were they, were they somewhere around there? Or yeah. Silly, right? I mean, they can, I can see them easily jumping up five or six or seven spots even uh, just by bringing the same team back next year with some minor modification. Unless there is an attractive proposition, uh, which, is, which isn't as risky and is more clear to me, I, I don't see why the Raptors should do, should do anything. And I, think, I, don't think, I don't think they will. Yeah. And, you know, you never know who the next guy who wants out is going to be like, you never know. It could be anyone. So it's you're right. It's good to be in a position where you're good enough to add one guy and be a championship contender. And that's like, I mean, if there's ever a team that's proven that that's an, a viable way to construct a championship contender, it's it's the Raptors. That's exactly what they did. So let's let's end off on on this one last point. Um uh, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry uh, joining forces again. Of all the stuff that I have seen over the over the summer so far, uh, that probably is the most realistic thing I can think of because the two are best buddies. They're they're open about it. I think they would love to play together. 
you know, both have the ability to kind of, you know, shape their future. I just don't see why they wouldn't be actively talking and trying to maneuver that and orchestrate something where they, where they come together. I think if, if Lowry doesn't, doesn't uh, resign in Toronto and, 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 um, I think I think he's joining Demar Derozan in in LA or, or some other destination. I think that's a if if I was on if I had a bet three sixty five account and they were offering that I, I, I'd put a couple hundred bucks on that one. Yeah, yeah, no, that was one of the you know every year like they have your yearly tradition of the Lakers jersey swap free agency like a wave of Lakers jersey swaps. But that was one where I saw I was like, yeah, I can see this. Demar's an LA guy. Lowry's trying to win a ring. He's a good contributor, but doesn't want the pressure of, you know, being the second, third best guy on the team. Yeah. And honestly, like, I guess I'll, I'll pose you the question before we sign off. Is that a, is that your favorite? Like add Lowry and DeMar to the Lakers and, you know, we say we get back Kuzma and KCP. Is that your favorite to win the, the championship? I, I, well, so let me just first say that I, I don't really care about any other team but the Raptors. So every other team can just go to hell. I mean, don't care. Don't get happiness from them winning or, or, or you know, I, I get enjoyment from them losing. But, you know, so I, I don't care what happens to even DeMar. Don't care about him. Don't care about the Lakers. It's the most plausible. I'd add that I'd be happy with a Kuzma level player. Mm-hmm. That's about the, the quality of player that I would expect to get back in the best case scenario for a Lowry trade. At this point, I would even settle for someone like Maxi uh, from, from Philly, if, if that's possible. Uh, Tyler Hero, as you said, he's played him down, would settle for him too. Uh, at this point, you're looking for any sort of return on an, on an asset that you're going to lose for nothing. So you can't really be too picky at this point. Yeah. All right. It was a great conversation. <laughs> All right. So I think that concludes uh, our uh, our wrapcast for this week. Kyle, uh, thanks for joining us. Just a reminder uh, that um, well, I don't know why I'm reminding people, but we we do have a draft party happening on uh, on draft night on J- July 29th, Thursday at Sportsnet Bar and Grill. Uh, we are sold out, so it should be a nice a nice evening there uh, next to the old Sky Dome. Uh, it's a great venue, so uh, we, we we got we will maybe we'll do a podcast from uh, on location. Uh, especially if the Raptors go ahead and move up as I think they will hope they will uh, to get Mobley. Kyle, thanks for joining, man. Thanks for having me.